Good morning. My name is Bobby Tibbles. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary Bible, and it's my privilege this morning to read our text to you from Ephesians chapter 6. I'll be reading verses 10 through 20, and I'm reading from the NASB. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, but on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view. Be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Good morning again. Thank you for being here today. I haven't introduced myself, but I'm Byron Bradshaw, the pastor here at Calvary. If you have any questions about our church, feel free to see me after the service today. Today we are in our fourth and final week of our series on systematic theology. You know, once a year, starting in January, we spend just four weeks unpacking doctrine, un- unpacking systematic theology. The first year we did this was a couple of years ago. We, we unpacked who is God, which God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and then the triune nature of God was two years ago. And then last year we talked about uh, what is the Bible, how is it put together, how is it inspired. And then this year we're talking about angelology, you know, what are demons, what are angels, what is spiritual warfare. So I kind of give you this the outline of what we've done in this series over the last four weeks. The very first week we talked about what are angels, that they are messengers of God. And then we talked about what are demons, that they are fallen angels. And we had a whole sermon series, or whole sermon, I should say, sermon series. There's a whole sermon just on demons. And then last week... We talked about spiritual warfare, but specifically the, the tactics of the enemy. What are, what are his strategy? What, is he, what does he do in order to thwart God's people and the world to follow him and his deception? And today, we're, it's a, kind of part two to our spiritual warfare. Okay, in, in lieu of his strategy, in lieu of what he does, then what do we do? What, what place do we call? How do we prepare ourselves? For the evil day and for his schemes. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, but last week I began with a question. I'm going to begin with the same question. As I said last week, it's a bit of a duh question in Alabama. Um, we worship the idol of Nick Saban, so it's duh. Okay. Anyways, it's a problem. Uh, anyways, so <laughs> how many of you have ever watched a football game before? Okay, there we go. Same question. If you were to ask any kind of college player, any professional player on, on that level, they'll tell you what, that far more goes into off the field than on the field. That in order to have success during the game, they must have certain behaviors off the field. So the first thing they kind of do during the week besides practice is they watch game film. They sit, you'll talk to any athlete, they sit in this musty, 
damp, dark room, and they watch hours and hours of film on their opponent. And, and why? And the reason is, is because in order to have victory, or in order to win over your opponent, you must understand your opponent, right? So that's what we talked about last week. But there's also another piece to that. That in order to have success on the field, they must do something else off the field. Not only do they watch game film, not only do they practice, but they also must prepare themselves. They must get ready for the game. If they have injuries, they sit in an ice bath or a salt bath or whatever they do and they heal up, right? They, they study, they prepare their mind, they study their playbook, they study kind of their team and what the plan is for the next Sunday morning. But they also must prepare their mind, they must prepare their, uh, their injuries, but also must prepare their body, right? You notice that, maybe I'm not the only one, like the only guy that is of normal size on the field is the kicker and the punter, okay, right? Everybody else is like gigantic. They're six six, like 350 pounds and terrifying, okay? They, but that doesn't happen by accident. They must prepare themselves for on field success. I had a had a friend of mine in seminary who played football at Mississippi State and he said that in order to prepare himself for the game, what he would do is he played every play like somebody just slapped his mama. Okay? That's why he was terrifying on the field. That's how he prepared himself. Uh would not want to be uh, across from that guy. But many of us in life we think and we live like we're the fans. That we just kind of let life happen to us and before us. But what we don't realize often in the spiritual world is that we are players on the field. That there are unseen realms. That there are angels and demons. That there are spiritual warfare going on in a world that we cannot see. That we must prepare ourselves. And in order to have success in spiritual warfare, in order to just understand and have conquer what it is in that unseen world, we must, number one, we must understand our enemy. We must understand his tactics, that he deceives the world, that he introduces conflict into the church, that he introduces temptation into our family. That's how he got the righteous man named Abel. He tempted Cain. And he introduces us distractions as us as individuals. You know, you don't have that. It would be really nice if you could have that. He introduces distractions into the world. So the first thing, in order to have success in the spiritual warfare, is to understand our enemy, understand our opponent, his tactics. But then we also must prepare ourselves. So how do we prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare? What do we need to do for the evil day? Because one day, friends, if life isn't there yet... One day, your life is going to fall apart under the schemes of the enemy. Amen? I mean, it's just that <laughs> that day is coming, just the bright side of life there. But what do you do for it? How do we enable ourselves in order to overcome when the evil day comes, when the arrows and the scheme of the enemy come into our life? That is the quest that Paul does in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. He prepares the church in Ephesus, but he prepares all Christians in order for the evil day. So if you have your text, Ephesians chapter 6, today we're going to be unpacking verses 10 through 20. And this is one of the more famous passages in all of the scripture. You would say Ephesians 6 is kind of right up there with, you know, Psalm 23 or John chapter 3. It's kind of the top 10, so to speak, of famous, well-known passages. But what I've 
just seen over the years is it's really kind of misunderstood. There's a lot there that we just don't even notice, that we kind of take for granted. And to give you an illustration, that there are, there are really seven weapons mentioned. It's not just six. And oh, by the way, there are actually two different categories of armor. One category is to be or to have on at all times. It is the state that we should live in. But then also the other category is to take up, to use those weapons on an as-need basis. So if you have your text, we're going to begin in verse 10. And what Paul does is he brings the whole book of Ephesians into one verse, into one central idea. That the point of the armor is not to just uh, make us feel... I don't know, special or something, but it's meant to cause us an action. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And if you notice here in verse 10, notice the very first word. I just want to point that out to you. It is the word finally. Why does Paul say that? Paul is bringing the whole book, in a sense, to a final application, a final conclusion, based on everything that he has said to this point, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might because of the doctrine that you saw in chapters 1 through 3, because of the application of verses in chapters 4 through 6, finally, stand strong, be firm, be empowered, live for God. I mean, think about the soldier that's going into battle. You know, we, we kind of put their bravery on another level. But if you are a, a documentary nerd like me and you watch all those uh, military documentaries, I have watched them all like 25 times, and my wife just gets up and walks out of the room whenever I turn one on, um, because you've seen it before. You know, if you talk to those soldiers, they're all terrified when they're on the front line. They're all just scared witless. So why do they stand there? They stand there for two reasons. Number one, because their buddies are standing there. And number two, they're trusting in the competence and power of their superiors. Why should we stand strong in the evil day? Why should we not be afraid? It's not because of your strength. It's not because of something, some superpower faith that you have. But it's because of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself. Notice that. In the Lord and in the strength of His might. It's not up to you. It's not up to how you're feeling that day in order to stand firm in the midst of spiritual warfare. But it is up to His strength, His might for the evil day. So number one, just to be strong. This is the whole, kind of the whole point, in a sense, of the book of Ephesians. Based on doctrine, based on the application of chapters 4 through 6. Stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then how do we stand firm? How do we do that? It is this way. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes, we would say arrows or plans of the devil. Now, if you notice in your text, I'm about to get kind of uh, Greek nerd on all of you for like three seconds, so hang in there with me. I'm not going to be long in it. Okay, so if you notice in your text, put on, that word put on in the original language is a, is a middle voice. Now, what in the world is that thing? Okay. A middle voice is you do the action to yourself or for your own benefit. In other words, what? That God doesn't force you to put on the armor of God. That it is something that you must do for yourself. You have to choose 
to put it on in a state that you're always in and also when you need it on an as-need basis. One pastor says this, God gets us the armor, but doesn't put it on us. He instructs us to put on the full armor of God so you can have it and not it and it not benefit you because while he gives it, he does not force you to use it. An illustration of that is like you going to the doctor and him prescribing a medicine, but you have to take it in order for the doctor to help you, right? Anybody ever been there before? That's the armor of God that the Lord furnishes for you. Seven different pieces of armor to help you stand up in the evil day, but he doesn't force you to wear it. You must put it on. And then notice the results of putting it on so that in order to the result so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, against the deception of the devil. As we talked about last week, in order to stand firm, you must put on in order to. Stand up against his schemes. Schemes, we kind of talked about that last week. What does that mean? It means he introduces deception into the world. He introduces conflict into the church. He introduces temptation into our family. And it introduces distraction into our individual lives. Distraction with trials, with physical pain. Seen in Job chapter 2. Distraction in what you don't have or what you need. The point of the book of Ephesians, in a sense, is to stand firm, to be strong. How do we do it? We put on the armor of God. He has furnished it for us. But uh, I want you to notice verse 12. In order to really stand firm and to put on the armor and all this stuff, you have to also know your enemy. Notice what it says in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Notice that phrase in your text. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual warfare of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who is our enemy? Not against flesh and blood. Let me just ask you the question, and you don't uh, have to raise your hand to this. But how many of you uh, have ever thought that someone else is your enemy? You know, you, <laughs> you become uh, zoomed in on them. You know, how they hurt you, how they wounded you, what they did, what they didn't do. And you zoom in on it. And, and this is, we're not immune to this, not only in our individual lives, but also in the church as a whole. That when you come into church... There, there, there will be conflict. If you've been in church for any length of time, that's just the, this is the way of life. That people are messy, that we are messy, that we are far from perfect. And sometimes when we are wounded, we uh, view people as the problem. And not the problem behind it. We look at the fruit and not at the root. And I'm guilty of this as well. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we be strong. How do we prepare ourselves in spiritual warfare? Well, number one, we put on the armor. I guess number two sub point would be you know your enemy. You know that when somebody's acting out, Think about what's really the root issue instead of the fruit that they are producing. Hey, man, I'm guilty of it too, all right? So that's, a, that's convicting on my part as well. 
You know, when I was at, uh, it, I've struggled with that in ministry, but I also struggle with it, you know, enterprise rent-a-car. You know, it's easy to think about people are just being knuckleheads and they're being annoying, okay? All right, that's just the way we're wired. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Don't forget that, friends. When you're wounded, when you're struggling, when you're frustrated at your spouse or your children or people inside the church, don't forget that there is a spiritual side beneath it. But then notice verse 13. So put on the armor, know your enemy. But then he says this, therefore, take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to resist in the evil day. Now, if you notice in your phrase, in the evil day, the day when everything falls apart, when you're faced with great danger, spiritual warfare, great pain, great temptation in the evil day, that is when we are to wear the spiritual armor. So you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, if you notice, as I was unpacking this, you know, notice the first word. Therefore, he's bringing things to a conclusion again. Um, but it's also a repeat. You know, if you're looking in your text in, in verse 11 compared to verse 13, they're almost identical. Why? Uh, if you ever see something repeated in the scripture, highlight it pull it out, look at it, notice it, because it's there for emphasis. That the point he's getting across above all else, that if you want to stand firm in the evil day, put on the armor of God. He says it twice in three verses for emphasis. He's trying to... Um, anybody else have... Let me just illustrate this. Uh, how many else have little kids in the room, like below the age of like like 12? Okay, anybody else have those? Okay, parents in the room unite. Um, we need like a counseling session after church. Okay, um, and all the artwork on my walls. Um, how many of you have ever done something like this before? Bren, baby, I need you to clean your room. And then she goes, oh, 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 oh. no, I need you to clean your room, Right? Why do you repeat yourself two or three or four times? It is for emphasis, right? That's what he's doing here. He's emphasizing our um, need to put on the full armor of God. And then he goes into it. Okay, so if we're going to put on the full armor of God, so then what is the armor of God? He gives us six listed weapons, so to speak. And then we also adds a seventh in verses 18 through 20. Well, the first point today is to repair how by putting on the armor of God. And then notice here in verse 14, he says this, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, before we get into it, I want you to notice here the verbs that I've already kind of mentioned. The first three pieces of armor are the are accompanied with the Greek word to be. It is a state that we should always be in. And, verse, and then the last three pieces of armor are a state that we need to pick up when we need to use it. For example, one pastor illustrated it this way. It's like a baseball player. They have on the uniform at all times, but they only pick up the bat when they need to go to the plate. Or they only pick up the glove when they need to play defense. That we should always be in a state of the first three, but we should only pick up the last three when we need it. But then notice here the first weapon of the armor of God. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. If you notice here, there's really not, it, it doesn't say the, the, the belt of truth. 
but it, but it's implied. And in this particular culture, what they would do is before they ran or before they went to war, they would take their cloak and tuck it in to the belt of truth so that they could be prepared to run or to fight. We prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare by putting on the belt of truth. I'm going to say it this way. Uh, the truth does you no good unless you know it. It's impossible to use the truth in spiritual warfare if you do not know what the truth is. What does it say? And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. So the belt of truth in the midst of spiritual warfare, how do we use it? We use it because it allows us to spot the enemy. If you have your notes, the belt of truth, piece number one is truth itself. It is only good when we actually know it and it helps us spot the enemy. Okay, wait a second. I, I, I know that person. I know they're misbehaving, but I know that person. I, I don't think that's them. I think that there are spiritual forces going on behind the scenes. Wait, I, wait, I know the truth. That is not the truth. It may be close, but it's not. The truth in spiritual warfare helps you to spot the enemy. But then if you notice the second piece, in having a state of being in, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Better yet, what's the connection between righteousness and truth? Truth is the standard, and righteousness is the application of a standard. Okay, let me illustrate that. It's one thing to know the speed limit, but another thing to abide by it, all right? You can know the truth that the parkway is 50 miles an hour, but it's righteousness, okay? By, it's righteousness by keeping the speed limit. But when it says 50, it really means 60, okay? So then we can still live righteously, okay? Um, that is righteousness, it is the application of truth. It is not just knowing it, but it's also doing it. When we know the truth and we do not practice it, what happens? One pastor said it this way, that, that roaches are attracted to trash. What he means by that is that demons in the unseen realm, if we have sin in our life... If we know the truth but do not practice the truth, then we are causing the enemy to have a place. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27? It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And what? Do not give the devil a foothold. So number one is the belt of truth. Number two is the breastplate of righteousness. And what does that do? It keeps the enemy at bay. It keeps the enemy at bay. It prevents him from having a place in our life. And then notice verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In this particular day, what the Roman soldiers would have is not only a breastplate of righteousness, not only the belt. They wouldn't have the righteousness, I guess, but they would have breastplate. There we go. And, but they would have sandals with spikes on the bottom of them for sure footing. Let me just ask you the question. How do we know... That we are truly knowing the truth and abiding by the truth. How do we know that we understand it and are applying it correctly? The gospel of peace. 
Let me just ask you the question. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand to this, um, how many of you have ever lied to somebody before? All right. Okay, cool. Me too. Um, when I was younger. Okay. Um, so when you, when you lie to somebody, do you have peace? You are wondering if that lie will, what, get around. The gospel not only gets us to heaven, the gospel not only gives us peace before the Father, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, but the gospel brings peace to earth. Where do I get that from? John chapter 14, verse 27 says this, Peace, Jesus is speaking to his disciples the night before he died. He says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. How we know that we know the truth, how we confirm that we are living in a righteous way is the peace that we have that surpasses all comprehension. The peace I leave with you. Armor number one is the truth. Spot it helps you to spot the enemy. Number two is righteousness to keep the enemy at bay. Number three is peace to confirm we are on the right path. So that is the state we should be in. These are the ones we should have on at all times. But then notice the last three. These are the ones that we use when we need them. Verse 16. In addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all of the arrows, flaming arrows of the evil one. So piece number four is faith, or we would say the shield of faith. We have a, a profound, can I just say this? I think we have a profound misunderstanding of what faith really is. Because we think faith is a, is a, is a mental state to be in. Or we think faith is a feeling felt instead of an action taken. Faith is action based. How you confirm that you have faith is by the life and the actions you do. But is that true? Is it, is it true that faith is not just a feeling felt, but an action taken? What does it say in Hebrews chapter 11? So if you know that passage, Hebrews chapter 11 is this, this, this mosaic of all of these Old Testament saints that have lived by faith. And if you notice this gigantic list of names... There's always an action associated with them. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9. By faith, he lived. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses refused. To be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's easy to trust God when we aren't an evil day. It's easy to trust God when things are going well. Amen. But it's really tough. In the midst of the schemes and the flaming arrows of the enemy to trust the Lord in that spot. But you display your faith not by the words that come out of your mouth. Not by what you believe to be true. You do not display your faith uh, by some emotional state. You display your faith by the actions you take. That in the midst of the evil day, you take up the shield of faith. 
But then notice the last two. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you notice here in your text, so we have the shield of faith. We should take action when we need to. And then here, the helmet of salvation. Now, I want to kind of circle this salvation. The, the, the peace is, I would say, the certainty of our salvation. The confidence in that. Because think about the helmet. What does a helmet protect? It protects your, your mind, your control center of your, of your body, right? The thoughts that come into your mind. I, 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 uh, I have three daughters, and they're, they're wonderful, and I love them. Um, my, they're, the one daughter that needs to wear a helmet at all times is my five-year-old. Uh, she needs to protect that noggin because she kind of runs leaning forward. Okay, and she's genetically predisposed to be clumsy. Okay, that's my five-year-old. So that, take up the helmet of salvation. It should protect your mind. Let me just ask you the question. In the evil day, in the, in the midst of spiritual warfare, can the enemy affect your thinking? Yeah. He can introduce dissatisfaction, discouragement, temptation. Uh, in the midst of that day, he can affect what you think. So we should protect it by protecting our mind in the certainty of our salvation. What does Satan do in the Garden of Eden? Did the Lord not say or did God not say? He's affecting their mind. So we should remember our salvation, take up the helmet of salvation, and then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you notice here, this is the only offensive weapon. I mean, he could have probably said the, the javelin of something or the catapult of something. But the only offensive weapon that he presents in the whole armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Could it be because the fact that this is the only one, because it's really what we need. It's all we need. The word word here is not the word logos. It is the word rhema, which talks about kind of the divine utterance and speech of God. The whole will and whole divine word of the Lord. It is the sword of the spirit. Um, how, did the, how did Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 dispel or repel the enemy? What did he say three different times? He says, it is written, it is written. It is written. When the enemy tries to convince you of not your place with God, if the enemy tries to tempt you by saying that you aren't worth anything or that you are not valuable, repel it with truth. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he has given the right to become children of God. When the enemy tempts you to sin, repel it with 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. When the enemy says that you are alone and that no one cares, repel it with John chapter 14, verse 18. When the enemy says to you uh, that there is another person besides your spouse that can satisfy your desires, repel it with truth. What well, says, be content with the wife of your youth. We repel the enemy. The offensive weapon that we have is the word of God. We repel the deception of the enemy with the scripture. Piece number one is faith. We act in response to the enemy. Piece number five is salvation, to remain assured of our position in the Lord. Piece number six is the word of God, repel the deception of the enemy. But there's one more thing that we need to talk about today, and it is 
Perhaps the most important piece of armor that we could possibly have in the midst of all of these is found in verse 18. And I want you to notice as I read this text, what word is repeated or or a variation of the word. With all prayer and petition, notice this part, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. That utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it may speak boldly as I ought to speak. How do we prepare ourselves for spiritual warfare? Number one, we put on the armor. And then number two, we pray. Prayer, somebody defined it this way, prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. Pray, notice what it says, pray at all times in the spirit for all the saints that in the midst of the evil day in the midst of the schemes and the arrows of the enemy that we should pray for the saints we should pray at all times in the spirit for one another can i just say something this is kind of off the beaten path just a little bit um when you see a christian going through it you know they are in the midst of the flaming arrows, right? If we've all seen Christians, you know, what's, the, what's our first response? Hey, 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 what can I do? How can I help? And that's great. Don't get me wrong. We should do that too. But maybe also our first response is to pray. But, but friends, can I just say something else too? Don't, uh, don't do this. Hey man, I'll pray for you. Okay? That's, that's great. Do that. But mean it. Right? Pray for them there, right then and there. I, I, I walked in this morning and, you know, I was walking around and I guess I seemed, seemed a little distraught or whatever. And, you know, I just felt kind of was under spiritual warfare. I had a lot of thoughts going in my mind. And then a brother just pulled me aside and just prayed over me. I think that is what we should do, friends. I think we should not only meet one another's needs. I think that's part of it. But we should pray here with people outside of church for people Pray at all times in the spirit. One person says this way, when Paul talks about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, prayer is the seventh piece of armor. It activates all the rest of the spiritual armor. When we refuse to pray, it's like having a refrigerator without plugging it in. Prayer is the divinely authorized mechanism God has given to us to tap into his power without prayer will be ineffective in spiritual warfare, but with it we will be victorious. So the seventh piece of armor, in a sense, is to pray. Pray in the Spirit, pray at all times, pray for one another, pray for Paul, pray for yourself in the midst of the evil day. But does does prayer really play a role in spiritual warfare? I mean, I mean, what, what, what story do we have in the New Testament of, of prayer playing a role? If you remember the story in Mark chapter 9, what is that story? It talks about a demon-possessed boy, if you remember that. And if you remember that story, a father is at his absolute wit's end with his son who is demon-possessed. And the story is really not a story about the demon-possessed boy, but about the faith of the father and the faith of the disciples. And if you remember that story, the disciples tried to cast out the demon inside of the boy, but they could not do it. 
And then Satan, excuse me, then Jesus says this in Mark chapter 9. After crying out loud and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, the boy is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not drive out the demon? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Prayer reveals faith. Prayer is earthly permission for heavenly intervention. Prayer is revealing that you know for certain that without the power of God, you cannot conquer whatever arrow you are facing. Friends, listen to me. If you are in the midst of the fire, pray. If your family is in the midst of temptation, pray. If you are facing conflict in the church, pray. If you are being distracted by discouragement, by temptation, by physical pain, by whatever trial and whatever woe that the enemy has introduced you in your life, in that moment, pray. Live in a state of the armor. Live in a state of truth that you are able to spot the enemy. Live in a state that you are applying that truth to not give the enemy a foothold. Live in a state of peace to confirm that you are on the right path. And then pick up faith as an action when you need it. Pick up the helmet of salvation. Remember your position in Christ Jesus and the truth that he's given to you. And pick up the sword of the Spirit to repel the enemy. And at all times, pray. This is the point. Prepare how we put on the armor and we pray. The question I have is, so what? You know, how do we take this and apply it to our life? You know, where, is, where does the rubber meet the road? I've kind of done a little bit of application, kind of woven it in to the sermon, but I kind of want to bring it all to a conclusion. So we, you know, it's like the, my last three sermons are like mass, okay? Sorry if I traumatized you, okay? Um, it's like mass. It's cumulative, all right? So what I want to do is take the last three weeks We've talked about demons, spiritual warfare part one, and spiritual warfare part two, and just kind of bring it all to a head. So what? How do we apply it to our life? Number one, we should be aware. We should live life like we're not a fan on the sideline, but a player in the game of spiritual warfare. Amen? Number two, that we should be bold. That we don't have reason to fear. Number three, that we should be cautious. We should not allow the sin which so easily entangles us to have a place of the enemy in our life. Number four, as we mentioned last week, we should be diligent. We should be strong. We should stand firm. Number five, we should be equipped. We should put on the armor of God. Live according to the truth, according to righteousness, according to peace. To pick up salvation, to pick up the gospel of peace, to pick up the helmet and pick up the shield of faith, and to pick up the sword of the Spirit. We should be equipped, number one. And number two, we should be fervent in prayer, praying at all times for the brothers and sisters in Christ and for ourselves when we see the evil day come or when we are in the midst of it. Be equipped, put on the armor, and be fervent to pray. That's the point of Ephesians chapter 6. That is how we prepare ourselves. We be equipped and be fervent. Um, John 1.12 says this, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, 
even to those who believe in his name. Uh, If you do not have a relationship with God, if you are not walking with him, if you do not know what it means to have eternal life or earthly abundant life, you know, maybe today you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you think you're a good person and you think that those things save you, but those things do not. The salvation that we have is in Christ alone. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, if you've never taken a moment in your life to place your faith and your hope and your salvation in him and in him alone, then today is the day of salvation. If you've never believed in him and have rivers of living water come inside of you, today you can believe in him right where you are and trust in him as Lord and Savior of your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you want, if you have any questions about how to enter a relationship with the Lord, you're welcome to see me after the service today. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, the armor that you've given to us and to, to live in the evil day, to live in the midst of spiritual warfare, to live in the midst of your arrows and in the midst of just the difficulty of this life. Lord, I pray that we would put on the armor, Lord, that we would be strong, that we would know our enemy, Lord, that we would know that other, other believers and other people really aren't the enemy, but there's something more going on in the world that we cannot see. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for just the, our devotion to the Word of God. And may we not only know the truth, but we would live the truth, live a righteous life. And Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for your grace and your love that you've given to us that is displayed on the cross. For all those that do not know you as Savior, I pray that they would come before you and believe in you. And we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.